Welcome to Pixel Pizza. Did she say pizza? Your ultimate source for chiptunes, video game talk, and pepperoni. Delivered to you from Los Angeles and into the digital cyberspace of the 2020s. Pizza Power! That's right, when Super Giant Pizza. I want a large, thick crust with double cheese, ham, pepperoni. Hey, where's my pizza? Pizza time. Hello, listeners. You are listening to the Pixel Pizza ASMR Hour. That is right. It is currently 8 p.m. PST as I am recording this, much later than my usual recording time, and 11 p.m. EST, and potentially later in other parts of the world. So I just wanted to give you a relaxing opening so we can ease into our time together. I'm very excited because joining me today is another close personal friend of mine and someone who I consider a colleague, someone I worked with back at Carnegie Mellon and is now making a really awesome, fantastic career for herself. Her name is Niharika Jen, and she is a technical artist at 2K Games. So very excited to be speaking with her, and we've also got some beautifully relaxing, enjoyable chiptune music from an artist known as Echo Lane. And the track that they are sharing with us first today is called Learning to Windsurf.
Welcome back to Pixel Pizza. You just listened to Learning to Windsurf by the great Echo Lane. And now we are here with the interview portion of our show. We are here speaking with a close friend of mine who I know from Carnegie Mellon University. We collaborated on some different projects together and we have stayed close ever since. And currently she is a technical artist over at 2K where they recently put out the latest WWE game. But she's here to, with me to talk about her personal creative process and her history with games. And I'm very excited. So this is Niharika Jen. How are you, Niharika? Hey, Jared. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm Thank you for inviting me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you were on my must have list. Thanks. <laughs> so I like to start off the show by asking, uh, when in your life did you know you wanted to work on games? Uh, it was probably during my grad school because uh, that I realized I wanted to go into game development or explore that part of uh, game development as a career option too. Because during our grad school, we really got a lot of exposure into playing a lot of different kinds of games, whether it was VR, AR, or PC games. And uh, it was really fun to learn about the different pipelines that they use in game development through, through our coursework, which uh, really got me interested uh, in not only learning about game development, but also like the art and animation pipeline for both films and games. And it was more about what I wanted to work on, like work on VFX or work on animation whether it was for games or films, I think so. I did not like put a hard limit on that. Mm. So it was more like, I just wanted to explore the speed as a career option and see where I go from there. So yeah, that's what got me into games. And uh, I even played a bunch of games because we got access to so many games at that time, just for study purposes. Like we used to play a lot of VR games or even PC games and I was like, oh, wow, this is so much fun. Like, because as a kid, I did not get so much exposure. So that really got me interested into games. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I, I was curious because you are from India originally. What was like the video game scene like there? Was there, you said you didn't get much exposure to it? Yeah, honestly, I did not have a lot of exposure. When I was really young, it was mostly my cousin brothers who would be playing video games and I would not be included or they would just not allow me saying that uh, video games are not something that girls are supposed to play. Yeah, so it was kind it. of like a sexist thing that they would do. And obviously as kids, no one understood that. Right. Uh, but it was, uh, my parents did not feel that way, which is something I have been grateful for. And uh, it was my dad who actually got me my first video gaming console. And it was not even something I demanded. He just got me. He was like, he encouraged me to play games because he thought it was something cool that all the kids were doing. And I would play a lot of games uh, growing up, like Ma Ma Mario, Mario, uh, sorry, <laughs> Mario, Contra, and then the old Aladdin and Lion King. I don't know if you ever played that on the old yes. computers. Yes, those are fun ones. Yeah, the way the yeah, those I grew up playing. And then later I also got to play games like WWE, GTA and a bunch of racing games. 
which I would force my uh, cousin brothers to like make me play with them because I was like, why am I not allowed to play? <laughs> I would be a rebel at that point. <laughs> and then, but over the time, it was it it also got to a point when as I grew up, it was like my parents were like, you should not play games the whole time also. You should focus on your studies because in India, a lot of times games are considered as a distraction. Mm. and they're like oh, you need to focus on your studies make a career so I wouldn't be allowed to play too much also or, or like this like reduce your screen time or something so yeah that was here too my parents would give me like screen time of a few hours a day <laughs> yeah yeah I was like limited and then later on like I started focusing more on my studies so it kind of drifted away uh but yeah nowadays it's getting more popular in India like my younger cousin brothers and sisters play and games like FIFA, PUBG, even WWE, which I was surprised later on, uh, GTA are really popular and gaming is like a booming industry in India. Right? So it slowly has gradually gotten more popular. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so you, so you had some uh, knowledge and like, you knew more about WWE before you ended up where you are now, I guess. Yes, I did play a lot it as a kid, like video games and even the card games. And I remember I used to play with my brothers, like we used to do give chalk slams to each other. <laughs> and so it was really hilarious. And like, uh, uh, and then when I, I was told during my interview that I was working on this game, I was like, wow, like I, it just like brought back all those childhood memories. And it was also like a good empowering feeling for me because I was not allowed to play these games for a while. And I had to like really fight with my brothers. Like, why, why am I not allowed to play? Like, I also want to play. And uh, so it was kind of empowering uh, to be able to work on this game later on. And then when I told my brothers I'm working on this game, they, were, they, they literally had their jaw drop. They were like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Video games are not for girls now, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of empowering for me too. Yeah. So I know animation and technical artistry, they weren't things where like, that wasn't your original path. It was something you sort of came to later in life. How did that come about? That's very true. Uh, like I never got exposure to animation as a career path. For me, it was more about, it started for me, the interest in it started in the form of stories in a book. Like, I did not even get to see like the old Disney classic animation movies like Lion King or uh, like Lion King, Aladdin, Cinderella. Just the video it, games? No, not even the video games. It, it came to me a lot later in my life because it would mostly, my dad would usually get me storybooks and then I would just read the storybooks and then draw the characters or try to paint those characters. And games would be just a fun way to like, you know, just uh, play the games and have fun or like play games when friends are coming over. Or, you know, the old classic board games that we used to play as a family together. But it was just like, not like a, something that I thought would be a career path or like I never knew that people could work in this field or there were people behind who were producing like it never the thought never occurred to me it was very later on when I was in my undergrad I basically did my undergrad in computer science because I kind of wanted to work in graphics and like 
work on web design or like UI design or even game design because I knew at that point when I was doing my undergraduate computer science that you can apply the, that knowledge and work on game development stuff but it was never about like you know drawing or animation or technical artists uh, I never knew these terms also like I just knew animation and during my undergrad uh, me and my friends used to watch a lot of animated movies and a lot of like VFX movies we got exposure to that and I started getting more interested into the process of like I would watch videos on YouTube or on how these uh, films are made or how these video games are made and how characters are animated in a game because I was really interested in using characters or like writing stories and like telling different stories of different characters because I feel like uh, these uh, areas like whether it's a game or a film it's very empowering because if you use animation as a medium, you can tell a lot of different stories or you can make an, ex if through a game, you can make an experience be uh, like, you can make a player be, go through an experience or be someone who they want to be. Mm -hmm. So that's something that, that got me really interested. And uh, I was, uh, I did work as a software developer in India for three years. And uh, during that time, uh, I was working on UI design and it was kind of like a good thing. It was like a stable job, good paying job, but it was not something that I was deeply passionate about. Yeah. And I was considering of switching jobs to work more on web design stuff. But my one of my friends who was here in the US doing her master's in computer science, she told me that, you know, there are courses here on art and animation and game development. So why don't you look into it and maybe you could apply to it. And at that time, I got a lot of like, uh, uh, my parents and my relatives were like, why do you want to leave your stable job and go to a different country? Because it was never my plan. So I did my research and then like for one, for one year, I spent a lot of time in finding courses and I was really interested. I was like, let me give it a try. Let's give it a shot and see if it happens or if it does not happen because I come from a technical background. So Another thing that I heard from a lot of people, and it was kind of like they were opposing the idea of me switching my career to art, because it's also like art is not respected that much in India. Like it's not considered a very stable position. It's slowly now uh, people are getting more exposure to it, but it's like engineering, uh, doctor, like medicine or lawyer or other fields are more respected. So a lot of them are against it, especially because I had a stable job. It was also like they wanted me to get married because in India, a lot of women, if they're at 25 or something, they should get married if they have a stable job. And I was like, no, I, I want to, this is something I'm passionate about and I want to give it a try because this is something I'm really interested in. And that's how like I applied to different courses and then I got into Carnegie Mellon which was like my dream university <laughs> to be honest and it just happened all of a sudden and and when I came here actually it was I was really overwhelmed because it was a lot of exposure to different fields like I came here thinking about only animation but then under animation you have 3D modeling you have rigging you have technical art you have animation VFX so it was a lot of different fields and then the, the first year of my uh, grad school was mostly figuring out what I'm interested in and narrowing it down and then focusing on that because to figure out what I'm interested in, I had to learn each and everything. 
Oh. And then go from there. So that's what I spend my lot of time, like a lot of personal projects. I would just do 3D modeling or rigging and then uh, maybe do animation. And in the end, I narrowed it down to working in technical art or animation is something that I'm more interested in. Which was the hardest? Like the amongst... Aspects of uh, animation. Uh, I feel like each one of them was the hardest, to be honest, because when I came here, I did not know Maya, like the 3D software at all. It was completely new to me and I picked it up. And I feel like 3D modeling was really harder for me, uh, especially like designing. And it was also not hard, but like it was like something that was very time consuming for me. And I did not feel like too much interested in spending time in sculpting and like modeling a character as compared to how much interested I was uh, or how much in, um, in, into a project I was when I was doing rigging or animation. And for, for me, honestly, uh, modeling was the toughest. And also, uh, I don't know if it's like too technical term, but like in rigging, when you do the weight mapping for the characters where you have to assign each bone a particular weight so that the character's hand will move according to that. Oh, it's so something. It's like physics? Not kind of physics, but uh, kind of like skinning for a character, which was something that was very painful for me to learn. And it was like a, it would scare uh, me a lot when I, when I would be given the task to do skinning for a character. And that's something I slowly got over. Even during my job, that's something I got over because you have to practice, practice, practice. And then uh, it helps you get over the fears and get you better at what you're doing. So yeah, that was a struggle, yeah. I bet, yeah, but that's that's great. That's something that's always struck me about you is how perseverant you are. Yeah, like... Taking on new challenges. Yeah, it was a lot. Like, I, I think so, I was the only... I was, I know everyone else was figuring it out, but also like, I'm went through each and every pipeline to figure it out and I remember my mentors would ask me what are you interested in and I'm like I'm very confused right now I don't know yet so they're like why don't you try this and try that and then see which one you want to go into because I liked everything in the beginning it was very exciting especially during our first semester I bet you remember too but... oh yeah <laughs> I, I remember that I had Naomi on uh earlier in the show and so yeah we talked a little bit about of just how chaotic and how intense that first semester of Carnegie Mellon at the TC was. I know, like, it was like we were put on different teams and then you were getting to know each other at the same time you're learning new stuff. And then we would just spend a lot of time uh, in the same uh we had this big room where everyone would sit together, which was the bullpen. Right. So we would all spend time together and there would be group discussions going on about how this should work, what would make the player be more intrigued into it. So it was very exciting in the beginning, to be honest. And as we worked on those different projects during our first semester, I tried to do different roles, like into 3D modeling, rigging, animation, so that I could quickly pick up the skills and also kind of have an idea about which one I like more. So yeah, that was like, pretty intense at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Felt like every every minute I was like taking on something I had 
no idea how to do. It's like, for sure, for yeah. sure. Especially we were giving so many different platforms too, which oh, is kind yeah. of good for us because we got exposure to oh, all, yeah, a lot totally. of that stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I know you said you settled on technical art. And so admittedly, I'm not as familiar with like, what are the nuts and bolts of that versus animation or rigging? So technical artist role actually would vary from company to company, like from studio to studio. But like the difference between a technical artist and a character artist or an animator would be that the technical artist is someone who works between the character art team and the animation team or someone who plays an intermediate role mm. between both the teams and uh so for some studios the technical artist role would be to help in tool development where they can create different tools that will help the character artist or the animation team make their processes faster and then at some studios they might be just working on different skeletons or rigs to provide for the animation team uh, which is something uh, a lot of technical directors at film studios also do, where they work on basically writing tools to make a skeleton or a character do the functions uh, that the animation team needs them to do. Like, for example, if it's a furry bear or something, then the the technical artist will create a skeleton for that bear so that the animator can have different controls to make uh, the bear come alive or like, uh, have the expressions uh, like cartoony expressions that they need so it kind of varies and then some technical artists also work on the vfx side of the games like developing tools for creating water or like fluid mechanics and stuff or cloth and hair mechanics so it kind of varies but they are basically the people um, that kind of create the provide the tools to uh, help artists, other artists make their processes faster or their life easier. Oh, so then it, I guess has it, it requires some real like quick thinking and like clever solutions. Yeah, it's most, it's a lot of problem solving for sure. And it's a, it, it kind of varies between having an understanding of uh, the art pipeline too, as well as the technical pipeline. It's not completely technical like a software engineer would be, but you need to have a basic understanding of working on tool development uh, and some programming. It's not always required, like I said, it varies from studio to studio, but like some programming language knowledge so that you can work on the graphic side of it. Oh, so would you say your computer science background really came in handy there? It did kind of, uh, uh, for me, it was more about like using it for problem solving because there's sometimes a lot of, uh, when you're working on new pipelines or working on creating new processes, there are a lot of unknown issues that might occur or things that you have to resolve quickly. Sometimes there are issues that you have to resolve within a particular deadline. And as sometimes it takes a lot of practice to even develop it, but I feel like in the from the beginning uh, when i worked in my previous job that was something that i did develop a skill at problem solving and that's something that i could apply here when i came here and like if you are given a problem by a character artist saying hey i need to uh, you to help me fix figure out this how to make this process faster then you have to kind of figure out a solution okay yeah okay i can help you make this process faster through this and so it takes a lot of interaction and coordination between both the teams 
and even your different team members to kind of help them create an uh, efficient process for them. So, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of communication there. Was that something that became harder during like remote work in the pandemic? For sure, it definitely became harder. And for me, I did get to go to the office for 15 days or 20 days because it was my new job and this is my first job in the game industry. So I just got it and I was really getting excited meeting everyone and like seeing everyone in the office. But then the pandemic happened and then we had to switch to remote work, which was the transition in the beginning was really tough because we had to figure out how do we communicate with each other. Uh, whether it's through Zoom meetings or through Slack or like any other medium that we use uh, and then helping problem solving each other's issues through these meetings without not being able to be in office and figuring out like it was time consuming also because in office you would be able to go to the desk and say hey this is how you do or have more right. proper brainstorming sessions and proper meeting rooms but now it was all virtual so it kind of got tough and I know it got more tough for people who have families too um, because obviously they have more responsibilities and they have to take care of the families and then uh, it obviously when you do remote work the the lines between your personal life and work-life balance kind of becomes a blur because it might end up like for me it, I would end up just working because you could not go out so it's like work is a good distraction at this point Right. So your, your bedroom was your office. So there's my bedroom was my office. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's convenient, but it's also like you have to be careful that you don't end up working more than what is needed. Yeah. Exactly. And so has it been easier now as things are loosening up a bit? Yeah, I think so. We have kind of gotten used to it. And now it's like, we communicate with each other and talk with each other about like how we can make, there were a lot of meetings where we would talk about how we can make this remote work more easier for each other. And I feel like it also, because I, I think so my team, I'm really grateful to have such an amazing team because you, you usually just call, talk to each other if there's an issue going on and everyone is like very kind to help each other out. And it's easier for us to go and talk to our senior uh, members and like say, hey, uh, this is not working out for me. Can we switch this to this? So it's kind of flexible, mm -hmm. which really helps a lot. Yeah, I'm sure it's very helpful. So I think now we need to go to our musical break for the episode. Niharika, stay right there. And this is going to be our next track from Echo Lane, and it is called Three Springs Ago. So listen to this one and enjoy, and we will see you soon.
Welcome back to Pixel Pizza. You just listened to Three Springs Ago by Echo Lane. And now we are returning with our interview with Niharika. And I am very excited to continue on. So we just finished up talking about how crazy things were when you first got to 2K because everything in the world was so crazy. But, you know, I'm sure it must have been, what was it like for you, you know, after you left school and graduate school and came to this pretty like big, well-renowned game company? I mean, was there like a big shock or? Uh, yeah, it was kind of a big shock because it, pre, before that I was struggling a bit to find a full-time proper job because I was doing contract jobs and a lot of them were unpaid jobs. And yeah, and that it is more for like gaining work experience. And uh, when this job opportunity came, I kind of jumped at it because I was really excited because uh, I, I cannot talk about what we were exactly going to work because of NDA stuff, but we were going to work on something new. And that's when, when I got uh, jumped into it. And like, uh, it was it was kind of related to VFX and I was really interested into it. So that got me really excited, but scared at the same time because it was something that I haven't explored a lot. And because we were starting from the beginning and this was kind of the pre-production of the new game that came out. So it is really exciting and scary at the same time because there are a lot of unknown issues. And then plus everybody, it was like a new experience for me because first job in the game industry and I was coming from a software development background. So it's kind of a bit overwhelming for me because I was like, oh, don't know. I don't know how it will go. And like, I was like, I have to meet certain expectations. And I don't know, I feel as an artist, I do suffer from imposter syndrome where I feel like I'm not good enough. And uh, so it was, I was kind of struggling with that in the beginning. And, but my team was really supportive and everyone was really encouraging and they would encourage you to ask questions and then learn. And it was a really huge learning curve for me while working on this game. I can imagine, yeah. And obviously this, the toughest part was when we went to remote work and the transition happened because I was just getting to know my team members face to face and then it kind of became virtual, so. It was kind of tough in the beginning, yeah. Yeah, I think it was a similar thing for both of us because I think, yeah, right, like the month before the pandemic really took effect is when I had also started uh, yeah. an industry job and was sort of getting onboarded and meeting the people and then <laughs> then it all went up in smoke. But <laughs> I know, I know. We used to have like art classes at our studio too, which oh, was really wow. fun to go to, but then it kind of all stopped. Yeah. So I was like, damn, like that sucks. So yeah. And then it is obviously it's a, it would also have been like in person, like you have to uh, study on your own and then you have to figure out a lot of things on your own, but also like uh, communication became a big thing when we went remote and like, it was like, oh, I'm running into this issue. How do I figure this out? So, because, and then, then there were some new people who you had to reach out and I didn't know them or I forgot right. if I had met them. So it would be tough at right. that point. Yeah. 
So I would always introduce myself, hey, I am the new technical artist here. I need your help in this. And then we would talk. So that's how we would got get, we would get to know each other. So, yeah. And all the while, uh, you were in a new part of the country. <laughs> yes. West yes. LA. Yeah. Uh, I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. And actually, when the pandemic began, I did not have a house. I was living at an Airbnb. Oh, really? Yeah, because um, I was like, okay, I had only moved half of my stuff because I had a joining date where I, I had to be there at that time. Mm. So I was like, okay, I'll go back after a few months and then get the remaining of my stuff. And at that time, I had even heard of COVID. I started in Feb and lockdown happened and I was still in the process of, I had found a roommate, but I hadn't found a house. So <laughs> we were in the process of searching and that was a whole another experience, but I was really grateful to have a nice Airbnb owner who who was there for me. She became my friend oh. because I had I ended up staying longer at her place because of the pandemic. Right. And then she also helped me move into my new place. And then the new place, it was an experience because me and my roommate had just met online and we started figuring each, each other out during the pandemic. She also had a new job. And both of us were working remotely, so it was definitely an interesting experience in the beginning. Yeah, that sounds like a lot. That sounds like a lot very quickly. <laughs> yep, uh, very quickly. And then in the middle of that, I had half of my stuff at my house in Pittsburgh, so I had to figure out how to get all that stuff here. But with some of my uh, friends' help who were still there in Pittsburgh, I was able to get it shipped here. But yeah, it was... It costed a lot for sure. And it was a whole experience and very scary one also because it's like pandemic, you can't go out in this initial phase. So kind of, I had to sanitize everything. Right. <laughs> that whole process. Yeah. Yeah. Get trying to get as much hand sanitizer as you can before there's. Yeah. Sanitizer. Oh, yeah. We, the whole struggle with the toilet paper that was right. happening in this yeah. beginning. I did not even have a house. So I was like, I don't even have a house and like this shortage of like cleaning supplies and stuff and like I I would want to get access to it so <laughs> thankfully we were able to get our hands on it but yeah it was scary at that time oh for sure what's something about your sort of personal creative work process nobody knows but you um it's a tough question because I think so. I'm still learning. So I don't have like a particular creative process, but I would definitely say that one of my strong skills is problem solving. Uh, I don't know whether it was because of my uh, previous experience as a software developer that helped me, but like I kind of approach every problem like, okay, this is my problem. Like this is my problem case. Then what can be the solution to it? What is causing it? And kind of, I have a very structural, like in my, it's hard to explain here, but like, it's kind of like an organized way. I look at a problem and I find a solution for it. So that's more like something that I feel like I am uh, good at, or like I can quickly, okay, oh, this is an issue. And then also like, I, I'm good at uh, remembering things like, oh, okay, this was a problem and this was a solution to it. So I remember it and then I apply it or I kind of remember it and use it uh, to solve another problem because 
so there are a lot of issues that might be due to the same um, reason. And if you apply those things, then it's easier to solve certain problems. So it kind of like helped me uh, solve a lot of issues, even at my work or even on my personal project. So that's something that helped me a lot. And also something, uh, I think so, uh, working in a team because I had uh, experience previously working on a team because in my old software developer role, there was a time where I was also like kind of uh, managing or leading a team and it kind of helped me uh, understand or like understand where the people are coming from. And then if, for example, like uh, if someone gives me a feedback, then I, I have a tendency to ask more questions now. Like, okay, if you think this is bad, then why is this bad? Okay, like what are the reasons behind it? What do you think we can improve? And that is something I do often. And it not only helps me understand where the other person is coming from, but also helps me to filter the feedback a bit and take the useful points and then be able to make the required changes that we need. Oh yeah, that's definitely something I remember from CMUs. Yes. That's so much feedback from all sides and filtering it and figuring it out was so important, but that's really- Yeah. Important. I was really bad at it in the beginning. It was also like, I would always take, uh, I would, so obviously I was not good in the beginning and I had, I would get a lot of feedback like, oh, this looks bad. And then I would never ask a question why this looks bad. I would just feel bad and then I would try to figure it out. And that was not a correct way to approach it because I honestly don't know what I'm trying to solve because I don't know what the other person's problem is. And I'm trying to make something look better and like spending a lot of time on something that I don't know will work for the other person. So later on, as I went through to different conferences or even some of my mentors uh, helped us uh, through our journey, like I got to learn about uh, how to filter feedback and how to even get proper feedback when you are showing your reels or your portfolio or like showing your work to someone on your team. So that definitely helped me a lot. And that is something that I do apply here also at my work. That's, yeah, that's great. That's, I, I, it struck me as well how you, it sounded like you really, you know, try and look at it scientifically too, like looking at the data and the problem and solution. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's probably because of, uh, I, I honestly would think like uh, when I was working as a technical artist or even working as an animator on one of our projects that we did together, uh, I would think like, oh, I'm transitioning into an artist, but it's uh, later on that I realized I've been like, you see, uh, you think that engineering and art are different, but there's also a line that kind of blurs in between where you, whatever you learn in each field, you can apply to each field too. Like my uh, problem solving skills from uh, computer science helped me in art too. So it kind of, there's some blurriness between both the fields. So you have to find that area. I love that it can connect like that, that it's not, yeah. you know, people think the art and the science are totally separate, the art and the technology, but there's a connecting thread there. Yeah. And to be honest, like for each, each field or anything that you do, I feel like practice is something that will help you reach to where you want to be. And both fields require learning. It's, you can never be done with both of them. Right. It's like, 
whether you are a senior person or whether you are a senior engineer or a senior artist, you're still learning at that point. So yeah, it's definitely a lot of similarities between both of these. That's, yeah, that's important to keep in mind. So would you say there are some key differences you found based on uh, working in the game industry versus uh, working on animation or animated projects like we've done together? Yeah, like uh, definitely there's a lot of difference, uh, uh, but there's a lot of similarity again. Like uh, the main difference I feel in games is that the pipeline definitely varies from games versus films. And uh, like games, usually the pipelines are designed as per the game engine that the company is using. Some companies use a custom game engine, some companies use Unity or Unreal. So based on that, the pipelines for animation, technical art are designed. And whereas in films, uh, it's more like they could have their own custom pipelines, but it's it's also like uh, the pipelines are catered to like creating a sequence or a shot for a particular uh, like story, story uh, that they have. But for game, it's more about uh, the pipe, uh, like it's more focused on how the player should feel, whether it's a storytelling game or it's a sport, sports game, it's what the player would feel playing as that character. So a lot of stuff is revolved around that in games and like a lot of our feedback is also like, that's another thing I've noticed, like in games, you get a lot of feedback from the players and based on that, you modify the games or make them better. But for films, when the film, film releases, that's it. And uh, uh, either they'll get a sequel out of it, but you cannot like go in and change it because obviously it's just in storytelling experience that the audience gets to get. Right. Like with films, you're connecting with an audience, but with games, you're making the player go through an experience. And uh, so a lot of our changes or like any decisions are revolved around how the player would feel. Uh, playing that game and obviously films have more budget if, uh, and then films have more longer duration like they get more time uh, it could be like the time varies from studio to studio but that's what I've heard from a lot of people that films have a lot of more time to work on the pipelines like they have a pre-production for a, a year or maybe for five years that could be going on and then they work on production but for game it's like for example you have a 1.0 version of a game that comes out and then you have to immediately get on the 2.0 version and you get less than a year or sometimes a year as a time to complete a game. Yeah, it's so crazy now with how, you know, even when a game comes out in the box and is in the store, it's it's not like the work isn't done on it. There's yeah, it's not. Patching and updates and DLC and different things that have to be done before you can say this is complete. That's very true. Yeah. So yeah, you have to keep on working on the game and you have to keep on uh, improving the game as you get feedback or making it look better. Yeah. Also for you, I think something that's interesting is that, you know, certainly the projects that you worked on before this were more like, I guess, stylized in their animation. 
more I don't I don't know if they were all like cartoony but like uh, unrealistic I would say and then you came to this company where they do stuff where it's you know like supposed to be real people uh, doing real things and <laughs> how was that as a change yeah. that was definitely a big change and I got to learn a lot uh, because uh, yeah you're right like I worked a lot with stylized characters like even when we were on the animated film project together it was very stylized and when I was doing contract jobs, it was more cartoony characters, like little monsters in a game, like a mobile game app. So uh, it was kind of very different. And uh, obviously animating a cartoony character is involves a lot of exaggeration. And I had a previous, uh, my previous uh, job, which was a contract job was the role of a technical animator. So I would work on the skeletons for those monsters or even animate them. And, uh, it was like you have to make them uh, look funny, make them exaggerate, uh, have their emotions exaggerated. And those are like two legged monsters, little tiny monsters that you have to animate. <laughs> and then uh, in this game, you have big characters who are very known to a lot of players and people are fans of them. And uh, the style that we were trying to achieve was like very realistic, like to make them look as real as possible. So it was very interesting, like when you're working on uh, VFX for these characters, like cloth and simulation systems or like uh, working with the realistic characters, you have to make sure if you add an exaggeration, then it becomes a distraction for these characters because then they don't look real because a real person wouldn't do this. So you have to make sure that uh, you are limiting yourself in exaggerating anything and you're making uh, the physics look as real as possible. And it, sh uh, it should match with, it should come as close to as the real person would be or the real person as a character would be. So it was kind of tough and we got a lot of guidance from our seniors and like um, you had to study like how a human body moves in actual, uh, because for me, it was mostly like, oh, but I have to exaggerate everything. Right. Like it's the main principle of animation, exaggeration. <laughs> so uh, I had to tone it down and like understand the basic physics uh, about our world and understand how a human body functions. So that's a, quite a change and a good learning experience for me because it gave me an opportunity to work on these kind of characters too. Yeah. What What did you use? I'm editing that out. What did you use to learn about? Like the way the body works, was it were we reading a lot of like biology books or watching YouTube stuff or? Yeah, it was kind of like uh, studying the basic body. And then uh, my seniors helped me a lot because they would teach us, oh, this is how a body would move. And then we would have sessions together where they would teach us about, uh, you know, like uh, as I told, I mentioned, we had figure drawing classes and, and, uh, in our studio in the beginning also. So during the pre-production, we were informed a lot about how this body should function. We have this kind of animation and how this should work with this. So it would be a lot of like back and forth. And then it was sometimes it would be through our seniors where we would learn these things. And a lot of times it would be like, okay, uh, we have to study these characters. We have to study how this person behaves and then see how it goes from there. So it was a lot of like back and forth between learning from our seniors as well as learning it on our own. Yeah. So yeah, that was 
that was all the questions I had lined up, uh, except for one important one. And that is because this is the Pixel Pizza show. Where is your favorite pizza place? Oh, wow. That's a tough question. Uh, it's Papa John's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Papa John's Pizza and probably Domino's. That's usually the go-to. And I haven't tried a lot like here. Uh, probably like I've gone to uh, Wolfgang Puck where they make the wooden wood-fired pizza or something. Oh, yeah. So yeah, those are some of my favorite pizza places, Papa John's, Domino's, and then Wolfgang Puck. So yeah. Yeah, that, they're good. Uh, do you remember when, when we were in Pittsburgh, did you get to have Pizza Perfecta? No. Oh, that one was so good. It was... Where was it? Yeah, I think it was in Shadyside. And yeah, it was just this really great pizza place I would order in from a lot. <laughs> We should go there when we go. Yes, when we go back to Pittsburgh, it's we'll about to visit sure. Sebu. Yeah, it's it's an icon. Yep, yeah, I I definitely did not did not get to try it, so I would love to go there. Yes, for sure. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Niharika. Thank you for inviting me, Jared, and thank you so much. Like this was really fun to do. Yeah, yeah. Likewise. Where can people keep track of what you're up to? Uh, probably if someone wants to connect with me, they can send out to me a message on LinkedIn. Um, and usually I'm a very private person, so I'm not that social on social media. But if you send me a message saying you want to connect related to this, then I would be happy to connect with you. Awesome. On yeah. Instagram or like on Facebook. Yeah, so do that. And uh, please, you know, if you're enjoying pixel pizza spread some word of mouth let people know definitely <laughs> appreciate any any shout outs and we'll end off with the last track from echo lane and this is called reprise or reprise or i forget what that word is pronounced like but that is the name of the track and we will see you guys next week so bye bye